If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Second Samuel. Second Samuel, and uh, we're in chapter 21. Now, there's background material in Second Samuel chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, but we're going to be looking at chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. I started this series a while, a while ago, and we've been looking at obscure people in the Old Testament, obscure people and prophets in the Old Testament. With the exception of Jacob, that's been true. Last Sunday we looked at Jacob, and he's not really an obscure person. But remember, we looked at his life and his story and how he uh, got his brother's birthright and how his brother was coming toward him, and, and he thought the worst, and how he wrestled with an angel, uh, this representative of God. Well, tonight we're in Second Samuel chapter 21. Second Samuel chapter 21, and uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 14. Let's pray. Lord, I'm asking this evening that you'd help me to share uh, in our evening service, evening vesper time. We thank you that we've got to sing these songs, and what a touching song that last song was. Whenever we sing that song, it brings back memories of where we're at in our lives, previous things that we had been going through, uh, previous worship services where we saw other people get touched. I can't help but always think about Clyde Coleman, that big old strapping of a man who was in a wheelchair while he was singing that song with tears coming down his eyes. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have now to look at your word. We invite you to be in our midst. We, one more time, pray to you, giving you the things that were, are, are of concern in our hearts, things that are stressful, things that are anxiety-producing, things, to God, that are working uh, on, and, uh, heavy upon us, family, friends, uh, opportunities, job, uh, finances, uh, relationship problems, all these things, ministry opportunities, ministry needs. Um, we pray that you would hear our prayers, Lord, about these things. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you guys remember on, on April the 1st, April 1st, excuse me, April 19th, 1995, the unexpected happened. We had never, ever had an incident up to that time with the tragedy and the, the magnification of that. On, on April 19, 1995, a bomb, a bomb detonated by at least one known crazy, and it leveled, it destroyed, it, it wiped out in seconds tons of metal, tons of glass. A nine-story building, a federal building in Oklahoma City was leveled like a bulldozer would level a Barbie doll house. Hundreds died. And perhaps the most difficult thing to take was the loss of the babies, the loss of the toddlers in the basement nursery area. A poster uh, on the wall was decorated with angels and it told the rescue workers not to feel bad because the children were in heaven. But according to a local person from our community who went to work in that job site, his name was Jim Mendoza from Columbia Junior College, he went to the rescue site and he said the rescuers wanted to hand the children back to their parents alive. 
when those kinds of things happen in our world, we all of us shake their, our heads. And, and we ask those questions that everybody asks. Why did this happen? What's going on in the world? Why do innocent people like little babies and toddlers, why does that happen to them? Now, life, as we know, is, is seldom fair, fair, quote, fair. Because we have periods in our life when it seems that things are not going our way. And as believers, if we're honest, we sometimes wonder if it matters to God. In the face of these trials, we're trying to trust and we're trying to have faith and we're trying to do what's right while seemingly the unrighteous, the unrighteous around us prosper. This is what we read in Psalms. David asks out loud, why did the, un why did the unrighteous prosper? And our story tonight revolves around a lady that you never really hear that much about. She's an obscure person in the Old Testament who had a lot of heartache in her life. And yet, in the midst of it all, she continued to do the right thing. 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Look at it with me. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord, and the Lord said, It is on the account of Saul and his blood-stained house, it is because he put the Gibeonites to death. The king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not a part of Israel, but were survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare them, but Saul, in his zeal for Israel and Judah, had tried to annihilate these Gibeonites. David asked the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? How shall I make amends so that the Lord will bless the, the Lord's inheritance? And the Gibeonites answered him, We have no right to demand silver or gold from Saul or his family, nor do we have the right to put anyone to Israel to death. And David asked the question again, Well, what do you want me to do for you? So let me give you the background here. We read about this lady by the name of Rizpah, who was a concubine of King Saul. That meant, as a concubine of King Saul, that she had the status of a slave, and her only value, so to speak, in that world, was bearing children for the king. She was despised by the legal wives of Saul. She did not select this lowly position. It, it simply came her way. And, and you know, uh, as we shall see, However, she didn't surrender to uh, this victim's mentality that we've talked about before of blaming others for the circumstances that she found herself in. So she bore Saul a number of sons, but something tragic happened. You, you see, 400 years prior to Rizpah's time, 400 years prior to Rizpah's time, Joshua had made a treaty with the Gibeonites when Israel took the Promised Land. He said that he would spare the Gibeonites' lives as long as they made a peace treaty with the Israelites. Way down, years later, in King Saul's time, King Saul was not faithful to this covenant. In fact, he tried to exterminate, he tried to kill, he tried to get rid of all the Gibeonites, and he tried to wipe them off the face of the earth. Now, as a result of that, 
God brought a famine uh, to the land and upon the Israelites because he was displeased because of what Saul did. And because of this famine, at this time, King David goes to the Gibeonites and their leaders and asks them how he could make amends for Saul's injustice to them. So you get the background here. Famine, because Saul broke the covenant that Joshua made. And David, as a result, goes to them and says to them, how can we make amends for Saul breaking the covenant that you had made with Joshua? Now, I want you to notice their response in chapter 21, and I want you to look at verses 5 and 6. They answer the king, As for the man who destroyed us and plotted against us, talking about Saul, so that we have been decimated and have no place anywhere in Israel, let seven, seven of his male descendants be given to us to be killed and exposed before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the Lord's chosen. So the king, King David, said, I will give them to you. Now, do you understand what's happening here? The Gibeonites wanted blood vengeance. They wanted blood vengeance. They wanted to kill seven of Saul's descendants. Saul was the one that broke the treaty. Saul was the one that broke the covenant. And as a, response, as a result of that, David goes to them and says, how can we make amends because there's famine in the land? God is obviously displeased with all of this that's happening going on. David uh, came to that conclusion. And they said in response, we want seven dead men from Saul's immediate family. We want to kill these men. Now, let me just digress here. As I read a number of commentators, and as I've done some study here, God wasn't into this. This blood vengeance was a pagan practice. It was a pagan practice. But the tragedy from our story's perspective, the heartache was two of the young men chosen to be murdered by the Gideonites were two of Rizpah's, this concubine, Saul's concubine's um, sons. Two of the men were her sons. Her own flesh and blood. Her own sons. And, and Rizpah, Rizpah, the concubine of Saul, experienced the worst pain possible that a mother could experience. The tragic death of her sons. Innocent blood was to be shed because of what King Saul did earlier, years earlier. And as far as we know, the two sons had nothing to do with any of this and did not deserve, so to speak, to die. And they died a horrible death. This is what we read. This is what Scripture reads. And this is later on, but I'll just give you a summary of it. We read that these seven men, seven men were taken to the top of a hill. They were stripped and they were humiliated and they were beaten and they were tortured and then they were slain in that order. And the Gibeonites, for final humiliation, left the bodies there. Now, that was a desecration. No burial, no ceremony left for wild animals to go and pick the flesh 
off of their bones. What, what was uh, what was Rizpah's response? This mother who saw her two innocent sons slain and their bodies are left there. They are left in the same area as Saul and Saul's son. Right there. It's the same place. There was uh, some thought behind the Gibeonites, what they were doing. Jonathan, Saul's son, and Jonathan and the seven men left to die, not buried. Um, the, the first thing I want you to understand, and, and I want you to realize, is nowhere do, nowhere do we read, there's no indication whatsoever that she blames God. She doesn't blame God. She, she doesn't curse God. She doesn't turn her back on God. We remember the story of Job so distinctly because after Job lost his health and lost his wealth and lost his livestock, his wife comes to him and says, what? You might as well curse God and die. You might as well turn your back against God because God has allowed all these things. And, and, and so just, just turn your back and, and curse. Just denounce God. Nowhere does Rizpah do this. Um, I had an acquaintance. I've had acquaintances, short-tail relatives, uh, people I've known over the years who have had major things happen to them and in the midst of all of this, in the anger and the bitterness, say, if God is such a good God, um, He's so loving and He's so merciful, then why did He allow this to happen to me? And y- y- you can almost fill in the blank. Why did He allow me to lose my job? I was so close to retirement. My spouse to die. Why do children and babies die? Why all the wars? And all of this questioning. Um, and here's my response. God didn't do any of these things. The Bible says God's not the instigator of evil. He's the one that pulls the trigger. He's not, one, he's not the one that made the bomb that blew up Oklahoma City, federal building. He doesn't drive a car to kill someone else. People have a choice and have a free will. Evil is everywhere. God's not the one that does these things. You say, Pastor Ron, that he allows them to happen. Well, that's different from being an instigator. He allows it to happen, but he's not the instigator. He doesn't do these things. Remember Romans 8:28. We looked at it in our Sunday school class this morning as we're going through the book of Romans. Not all things are good. But in all things, he makes something good out of the bad. You don't say, when somebody dies tragically, that was good, or you got in a car accident, that was good. But in all things, he makes something good out of the bad. Well, Rizpah never blamed God. Never blamed God. She could have said, it's God's fault, but she didn't. Now, I want you to think of it, her, her whole life was wrapped around again, about being a concubine, bearing sons for the king. Now, those sons were taken from her. 
And notice instead of bitterness and blaming God, what Rizpah does. Look at verse 10 in chapter 21. Rizpah, daughter of Ea, took a sackcloth and she spread it on a rock for herself and she spread it out for herself on a rock. And from the beginning of the harvest to the rain poured down from the heavens on the bodies, she did not let the birds there touch them by day or the wild animals by night. Now, you understand what's going on here. For, for seven months, for seven months, she took a sackcloth, and from April, April, around April to October, she sat by these seven dead bodies, King Saul and Jonathan are two, of the, uh, are two actually there were a number of other uh, bodies there, and guarded them day and night from birds and from wild animals. Now, what's going on, Pastor? First of all, I believe that as, as strange as it sounds to us, because we don't have, we wouldn't do that. We would sit, sit by bodies for seven months. We bury bodies. We have a funeral service. Uh, but as I read this passage of scripture, as I've read different expositors, many people have come to the conclusion that she basically was saying, I'm in pain and I've been dealt with the life's worst blow. It's brought me to my knees. It's humbled me. It's wiped me out. In other words, she was grieving for seven months. Um, and we can't understand it in Western terms other than the fact that we see a grieving mother go to a cemetery and hang out where the body is buried of their son or daughter and they come frequently Whatever the loss, whether real or potential, health or business or financial or illness, blow by blow to blows to, to, to plans, there is a grieving process. There is a mourning that people often have to go through. Um, and the, the greater the loss, often the greater the grieving. You can't just bypass it. You know, we, we can't just pretend that it's going to go away because... This is the process often that God uses to bring healing to people. Hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month. And then it slowly lifts over a period of time. Did you know that in Romans chapter 8, in a couple verses uh, through 22 through I think it's 27, we read in Scripture that, uh, that the Holy Spirit intercedes with our grieving and that sometimes we don't even have words to articulate how we're feeling and what's going on and what's being expressed. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes alongside and helps us in our grieving. Um, in fact, it's interesting because the word that's used there is groaning. In our groans. 
that we can't um, fathom or that we can't understand, but we sense it deep within inside of us. This, these losses are this um, inter- interceding for others. Uh, you know, people say, I have a burden for somebody else, or I, 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 I feel so burdened about this particular situation. And so we take it to God in prayer, and there's this groaning that occurs and, ha- ha- and happening. Well, what was the result of Rizpah Riz not blaming God and not taking revenge in her own hands, allowing her time uh, herself to grieve? Well, God, in, in a miraculous way, used Rizpah to bring repentance and sorrow to David, allowed David to come to repentance, because what David did was wrong. It was wrong. Notice specifically what David did in verses 12 through 14. Look at it with me. He, he went and took the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from the citizens of Jabeth Gilead. And David brought the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from there. And the bones of those who had been killed, those nine are those seven innocent men who were exposed up there who were gathered. And they buried the bones of Saul and his son in the tomb of Saul's father Kish and Zelobizimim and did everything the king commanded. After, got, after that, notice, God answered prayer in behalf of the land. David, David was uh, deeply moved and David, David was deeply convicted because there was this one lady who for seven months grieved and mourned and had sackcloth besides the bones of these innocent men. And as a result, we read that the, the famine was lifted in the land and it started raining again. Why? Because one lady... One lady, despite the loss, despite the hardships, did the right thing. And at that time, that was the right thing. The only thing that she could do was to grieve and weep and be in sackcloth for seven months up on that hilltop with those dead bones and bodies. The bottom line is this. God eventually always rewards obedience to him. It may take a while, but he eventually rewards obedience to him, especially when things don't go our way and we hang tough and and we do what's right. Let's let's pray together. Heavenly Father, 